Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Hey, Jenny, how are you doing? I am awesome. How are you doing today, Beverly? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good to start. Now, your background is different than usual. I'm used to looking at your very well-organized pattern and fabric stash area, and I feel like I'm I'm getting insight into more of your home because it's not behind you. Yeah, it's my living room. Oh, my goodness. With a fancy lamp. I love it. It's a whole <laughs> different thing. You still just get to see the disembodied heads of the stuffed creatures behind me. <laughs> So just a quick note here, um, in our last week's show, we called out Tilly and the Buttons by name about um, their bias size range and sort of controversy surrounding them expanding. And we need to mention, confirm actually that they have released a new dress pattern in an expanded size range up to a 62 inch hip. That's me. I'm included in that one. (laughs) Many of my friends are not, and several of the people we interviewed last week are not, but but they made it to my size. Yeah. So it's incremental change, and we applaud incremental change as well. They say they have some more new patterns coming out. It sounds to me like all the new patterns coming out will be in both size bands, so that's good, and that they are going to re-release. I don't know if they will end up re-releasing all of them, but in the next Next few weeks and months, they have several of their, or at least a few of their previous patterns coming out. So that's a nice change and good news for uh, an entry point for new sewists, since her patterns tend to be uh, very friendly to beginners. Yeah, I think that's that's really nice because, of course, new sewists come in all shapes and sizes. That's right. That's right. Um, One other note about this, um, actually. It has a bunch of gathering in it, you know, which is our favorite. And Frugalissima, who's like, I swear, not sponsoring this podcast, but has come up several (laughs) times. She just posted a tutorial on using elastic to do your gathering. Now, of course, this is obvious you can use elastic to do this, but I've never done it and I don't know why. She just measures the bodice, right? And then uses that exact amount. So the, this, the elastic isn't actually being stretchy there. It's just to get the skirt to the right size. And then she sews the bodice on. And I think this is a freaking beautiful idea. Now, she takes the elastic out. And I couldn't figure out why until she, I saw some notes on the comments that it's because she's going to reuse it on something else. But there's no way in hell I can be bothered to take the elastic back out. Do you see any reason why I have to? Well, I think it depends on how big your elastic is. Um, well, she did and, suggest having smaller than the seam allowance for it. Right. And so I've got a bunch of one eighth inch elastic, for example, that I was looking around to see if I could show you because it really looks like in cartoons where they'll have a dust bunny rolling by my mm-hmm. one eighth inch elastic looks mm-hmm. exactly like that. It's just a giant ball of elastic that it's chaos every time. It's probably got 16 loose ends on it because I give up searching for a loose end and got a new one. So it's quite exciting. But that eighth of an inch elastic, I think it'd work well. I think if you used a soft, a soft knit elastic, there'd be no reason to do it. On some elastics, they can be a little firm. So it mm-hmm. might be noticeable from a sensory position. But other than the sensory issue, I don't think there is a reason to, as long as it's not, its purpose isn't to be stretched. It's just... Yeah. It's essentially like having twill tape or a binding on that edge. It's just elastic. So I'm thrilled. And actually, if you use an eighth of an inch, you'd probably be surging it off. Yeah, it's true. For me, I would be. Um, That is that is super clever. I like that idea. And I'm probably going to play with that when I do um, one of my upcoming sews, which is the Bakerloo dress. Oh, great. Because Baker Lou's got that gathered waist. And of course, he's got a huge amount of gathering on the uh, the collar thing, the the ruffle for the collar. But the, the waist would be where I'd be most interested in it. Right. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, what are you selling? 
So since PF Drafty is going on, of course, I've started drafting stuff. So I have to immediately call myself out because I'm violating one of my core tenants, one of the rules I developed over the last month. I'm calling it a core tenant. I swear to you, I'm committed to it, even if I'm breaking it right this minute, because I am sewing some things that weren't designed for my measurements. And what that means is I'm not going to tell you who made them or who designed them or anything else, because I'm not going to screw them. They're not designing for my measurements. I've made the decision, though, that for the drafting month, I'm going to commit to taking some of the patterns I've already thrown my money away on and seeing what I can um, pretty easily upsize to fit me and showing off those results. And uh, so that's what I've been working on right now. I've got a sundress that I've owned for a little while that has an elasticized, I say elasticized bodice, but it's really a channel of elastic at your overbust measurement location, like at that part of your body. And then it has sleeves that attach on, you attach straps and then sew sleeves to the straps. So essentially, you're you're getting that sundressy look. The plus, I think I have. First off, it was it was created for a 46 inch hip. <laughs> so, so with my 61, obviously there's some distance there. And the finished measurement on this incredibly flowy, baggy, full dress is two inches smaller than my hips. So, but I know I've got to add some significant fullness to it. But the other thing I think I'm going to do is the sundress has the straps like pretty close to where your shoulders are. And for me, with my bras, that's not a functional option. And my breasts don't always behave well if they're not in a bra. And so I'm going to, I think, use that elasticized channel that goes at your overbust as an opportunity to pull in those sleeves to come closer to my neck than my shoulders. And so in drafting it, I'll also be able to make some adjustments that weren't intended by the designer, but that I think will will still give me a look that I'll enjoy. Um, so that's that's a big thing I've been doing. I've read up the instructions several times, cut all the pieces out, and I've got a plan. So with luck, next time we speak, I'll have an adorable sundress to show off. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. What are you working on? Well, I just finished something for PF Drafty myself. And I kind of feel it's a little cheating because I, <laughs> I t- you know, I say I drafted a lining, but what's drafting a lining but redoing the bodice, right? Um, I have a question for you, which I didn't ask last night when I was doing this, which is that when you do these linings, you just do the darts exactly the same, right? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So so that was pretty easy. I, I will say it was it was fun, though, because I used the video that we linked in our last two episodes ago the, <laughs> the, the <laughs> that we that we linked to do the burrito method. And because this it has grown on sleeves, but you can just treat it like a sleeveless and you could enclose the whole thing using the burrito method. And it was really simple. And I really like that method. I'm going to use it again. It's beautiful finishing on it at that point. It just looks so nice without any of the fussiness. Yeah. I've also got a few other things that I'm working on for PF Drafty. I am making a dog bed, um, which is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to draft it. I'm basically just going to draft a rectangular dog bed with maybe six inches um, height. I'm going to use a firm fabric, uh, firm cotton fabric. And then I'm going to also, I'm going to interface that fabric, but then I'm going to put a layer of batting on the top part. And then underneath the layer of batting, I'm going to fill with all my fabric scraps. It's going to be a nice, heavy, but really comfortable dog bed. That's awesome. So, um, so you sent, you stuck some pictures in the notes. Yes. And since we are obviously a fashion podcast, I really want to talk about them. Tell us about the pictures you've got in the show notes. Okay. Well, I got two new pairs of shoes this week and I'm going, I'll put these pictures um, up on the show notes, but they're really cute shoes and they're a brand of shoes that I've never purchased before. And in fact, (laughs) I might've had some opinions about, and the brand is Crocs. And neither one of them, I think, look like 
the Crocs that you've seen with the holes that give you the funny tan lines. This, I guess it would kind of give you a funny tan line though. Anyways, the, um, the one pair is a very flat pair of shoes that has a, it's like a, like a thong. It goes through your big toe and the next toe. And then it comes up in a slight triangle and then goes around your ankle and then back down to the back. So there's no Mm -hmm. clasps or anything. It's a very cool style. Jim really likes those ones. And then now does he like them for himself or does he like them on you? Okay. He loves them on me, but he would actually like to wear them himself. And I think they could very well be something he would, he could wear, but they do not come in the size big enough. I, yeah, I was going to mention that. I think that they are something that I would consider to be an all gendered shoe yes. because that thong style is really practical. And especially um, because they're waterproof and sand washes off and you can do all these other things with them. But that, yeah, unfortunately, I think they, they choose to limit the sizing on some of their sandals to bring it back to sewing sort of. I want to note that I have purchased a sandal making kit from Rachel C. Snails. And so at the end of April, I'm going on vacation. And one of my goals is to make myself a pair of sandals. And the way the kit is set up, it gives you some options for doing what they've already done, like their design on it. But they know you can totally make your own style. And so an option for me is making those Brooklyns, but out of this kit, because it comes with a platform, a platform, platform shoe bed and enough leather to do the strapping like you see here as well as a buckle so it's possible that I'll mimic this we'll need to link that in the show notes too I think that many of our listeners might be interested in that I'm super excited by it so that's awesome so um just a, a quick palate cleanser before we move into our heavy topic. Remember, you love us and our podcast. So your five-star review will help other people find us and um, give us great endorphin rushes as well. So if you could uh, take a moment and give us a five-star review, if you're so inclined, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Yes. Thanks so much. Okay. So today's topic is about gender bias in sewing and how we can include all genders in our podcast, in the sewing community, and in sewing patterns. So this episode, unlike the size bias one, neither one of us really had a are, are personally affected by this issue. So when it comes to the needs of gender nonconforming folks, we need to learn from others. In this case, I assembled a couple of panels. There was about seven people who volunteered to donate their time to us to talk about this issue with us. I met with them on two separate occasions. And just like last week's episode, there was so much to talk about that it's more than we can have in our podcast. I have condensed that down to 30 minutes that will be in this episode, but we're putting the entire conversations on the website for anyone who wants to hear them. And I really recommend it because there were multiple people in the panels for the conversations we had. It's not totally obvious who's speaking at any one time when you're just listening to it. So I asked everybody in the conversations if they were willing for me to post video and everybody agreed. And so there'll be videos of those if you'd like to go watch them. And I definitely do. I have obviously already listened to the conversations, but I think the video will really help me to um, be able to identify through lines and folks' uh, conversations about about the issues around gender. Over the last decade or so, I've been a patron of the theatrical arts in my local area. And so my experiences, particularly working with Different Strokes Performing Arts Collective, which is a nonprofit that focuses on plays that are often not performed or Maybe they're performing something like they did a a version of Romeo and Juliet where Romeo and Juliet were both women. And they've done some other things that are just sort of unique stagings of plays. And they donate a portion of their earnings from that to organizations that are impacted by the issues that the plays are presenting. But as a part of of working with them, one of the things it's done is given me some context around gender bias bias in general. And more recently, I've turned a friend into a business partner and because, because of our mutual desire to support social justice causes. So we started designing fabrics that we'd like to see in the world and selling them. My partner is non-binary. So our initial designs included several non-binary designs like pins that say NBD, I'm non-binary. 
or uh, stickers and ties with the non-binary flags and colors. And when I've made things for them, my business partner, I've learned a little about what design issues you can come up against if your desired look doesn't match the body topography that was used to design the pattern. So um, I don't have a direct connection to this, but I, I have danced around the edges of the issues, but haven't haven't really dove in from a social justice perspective or an activist perspective. And the conversations that we're going to hear today can help you to do exactly that, to be an ally here. So learning new language for me has been the hardest. I've had to learn to be really gentle with myself when I make a mistake. Um, I do know that when I listened to the discussions that Beverly moderated, I felt really uncomfortable because I could recognize the places where my own language was so gendered around sewing. So I'd encourage you to sit with the conversations as you hear them and recognize that there may be some uncomfortable moments because that's part of what learning and growth looks like. That's right. Okay. All of the Instagram handles and any other information on how to find our guests will be in the show notes. In both of the segments, I ask, I first asked the guests to introduce themselves with their Instagram handles and also to tell us how the issue of all gender sewing affects them and why they were interested in the conversation because not everyone in the conversation is a gender non-conforming. Okay, our first segment includes a conversation with Jocelyn Howard, a beginning sewist, and Tuki, a more experienced sewist who makes clothes for their partner and friends. Um, so I'm Jocelyn Howard. Uh, my Instagram handle is jyhoward. For me, it's... It, it, I've had a, a very long journey with trying to figure out my own gender identity, having grown up in a very conservative religious household, um, then going to a religious school where we were required to wear pantyhose and skirts. And, and so I've, I've had to perform gender um, for the majority of my life and I've fought against it. And, and so um, it's interesting. I, I feel like a lot of what, I want to talk about or what I think about when I think about this subject kind of dovetails with what you mentioned about um, size expansion and sewing and, and having access to larger sizes and patterns. Cause I feel like I've gained, I've, I've weight cycled a lot throughout my life. And I feel like when I'm at the smaller end, I'm able to find gender neutral clothes and I'm able to explore gender expression and I'm able to be a lot more fluid, but then when I gain weight and right now I'm, I'm at the larger end of my weight cycling that I've experienced, I feel like the larger you are, if you're shopping in like the women's sections and women's plus size ready to wear, you're, you're kind of forced to perform femininity. Mm -hmm. It almost like an apology for being large. Um, and and so, yeah, so I, it affects me. I feel like it, especially with my body type, but also with my background um, and sewing has just really given me, I mean, I'm a beginner. I'm just, this is the third thing I've made <laughs> that I'm wearing. Um, and I feel like it gives me um, a lot of liberation and a lot of freedom to be able to play in that gender space and, and, and to be able to, um, feel like I can wear more gender neutral clothing. So, and there's a lot, I'm, I'm trying to filter through all the different things I want to say so I can keep that short, but yeah. That's great. That's great. And how about you, Tuki? Is that how you say your name? It's Tuki. Tuki. Okay. Um, yes. Hi, I'm Tuki. My Instagram handle is Tukmade. So it's T-E-U-K-M-A-D-E. -E. Um, and I'm non-binary and, um, and like Jocelyn, um, I'm a fat sewist. Um, I've been sewing for a while. Actually, my mom first showed me how to use her uh, sewing machine when I was about nine years old. Um, but I've only really gotten into like clothes, I guess, making them a lot more um, in the past like three or four years. Um, and I see this issue affects me obviously for myself, also for people who I love, who I sew for, like my partner um, and my best friend and other people. Um, and I also personally, I... Well, I mean, I guess really personally and politically, right? Like I um, want to force the conversation away from talking about gender neutrality and actually talking about all gender fashion and all gender patterns. Because I think that when we use the language of gender neutrality, it's very narrow. And there is this particular skinny, white, assigned female at birth, 
androgynous kind of masculine of center um, image that comes up. And that's not me. And that's not a lot of, you know, probably most of the non-binary people that I know. Um, and I think that, that instead of when we, when we use gender neutral, we have that narrow field. But if we say all gender, we're really asking are all people of all genders affirmed? Can they find themselves here? Um, and so that's really how I think about the conversation. I think that's a that's a really good point. Actually, my next question was, how do you define gender neutrality? But I think what you're saying is we should really be talking about providing for all genders. And someone had reached out to me and said, you know, I, I kind of disagree with you have, when, I, when I reached out for people to comment on this. And they said, I, I disagree with the premise because clothing isn't gendered. And, um, and, and I, I understand that. I guess I, I just didn't know the right language to use for it. But I think you're onto something that all gendered is a better way of doing, um, of addressing that. So how would you define that? Like, how, what would that look like if there was um, sufficiency in that, in that area? For me, um, it would be having uh, size inclusivity and fit inclusivity. So a lot of times uh, we talk about like um, if we move, we're trying to move away from gendered language, like, you know, men's or women, people say straight or curvy. So let's have a style that's available in a curvy fit. Let's have it available in a straight fit. Um, but understanding that, you know, so, okay. So as an example, there's a, a bit recently been some sort of blazer patterns that have come out um, in, you know, which women's patterns um, in, but they're all oversized. And I think like, what if there was a straight fit blazer that was still fitted? You know, it. why do we rely on this, fall into this almost like idea of the boyfriend style, like we've all seen in the stores, the boyfriend, boyfriend blazer, the boyfriend jean, and it's a sort of oversized look. But what if we used like sort of the fundamentals of that style, but they were actually fitted to our bodies instead of being oversized. So I think that for me, it's about having really a range of fits and a range of sizes um, that are available for people. Because uh, another thing is that if you look at a lot of pattern companies that have expanded their women's sizing, their men's sizing is not as inclusive. Right. And it's a real big problem. It's a big problem for me because I tend to gravitate towards those patterns. And so I'll, I'll like think that I'm going to find something for myself in a company because their women's sizing is inclusive of my body, but their men's sizing is not. Um, so I think... For me, it's be having patterns available in, you know, just this, the full range of styles, the full range of fits, knowing that some people are, you know, not comfortable with princess seams and not comfortable with different kinds of, of fitting and that some people really want those peplums and those, you know, those princess seams. Um, and then also having information available about, about you know, ad adapting and really putting a lot of um, energy into helping people tailor things to, to their bodies. Not that, but I also don't want to have to do all that work. Right. I want to know how to do it. I want, you know, I want people to be putting out really good information about that. Um, but I'd also think just the idea of being able to do my, you know, my usual like height adjustments and everything, but not having to completely fundamentally change something so that I feel good in it, you know? Yeah. That's unreasonable to make you completely distort the pattern. <laughs> how about you, Jocelyn? Well, it's something I'd love to add to that because I, I came to sewing thinking, okay, well, I like how men's clothes fit me up top. Like they, they fit my body structure. I have wider shoulders for a woman and they fit my chest well. And so I, I thought, well, okay, I'll just find some men's patterns and figure and figure out somehow to make it fit my hips because men's clothes never fit my hips, but I love the way they look up top. And, um, as I started looking, I couldn't find any men's patterns that fit my, um, measurements. And so, which was frustrating. And so, um, uh, I guess that's just to add to what you were saying, Chucky, like, I, I, I agree, like there should be a much broader range of how can I make this fit my body and how can I make these different styles suit me, um, and that, and that should be a lot more broad. I'm wondering if there's anything that you can think of that um, folks can do to be allies because there are larger numbers of people who are cisgendered than non-binary or transgender people. And I wonder if you could give some ideas what people with larger numbers um, could do to help out the situation. 
think that's a really good question. And it's one I've been thinking about a lot because I do find that companies that even the companies that like are um, demonstrating trans inclusion through like having trans representation um, and, you know, even working to maintain groups where transphobia isn't tolerated. Um, they're still not necessarily putting out a lot of patterns that I think speak to the kind of the full spectrum of gender expressions out there. Right. Um, so I think what would be in my mind, most helpful is, um, is if pattern pattern designers were actually talking to folks, um, you know, if they're, even if, Maybe it's not so much something that we need our allies to do, but we need to get together on our own and like kind of be there to consult and say, this is what we want. This is what, this is the language that we consider best practices. This is, these are the styles that we'd really like to see you do. This is the size range of being in solidarity with, you know, plus size folks. I know I have a 53 inch full chest. I do not fit into a lot of pattern companies, you know, saying this is the size range that we expect as well. And really having demands and then having, uh, you know, cis folks kind of co-sign onto that. And also just, you know, uplifting trans and non-binary and gender expensive sewists when you see them as your style icons, as, uh, you know, folks you follow on Instagram, as people who, you know, who have a meaningful contribution to this community. Yeah, something as we're talking, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, where have I seen trans representation in sewing patterns? And it's in like LGBT Facebook groups when people make stuff for trans loved ones or for themselves who are trans. And I'm realizing like, I'm, I'm seeing it on a personal scale, but I, I can't recall necessarily pattern companies that have advertised on trans bodies or with trans people or across that spectrum. I've noticed one company that um, I got really excited about was Rad Patterns. I've noticed that they'll just say joggers. The joggers will have a, a couch potato joggers, really fun, neutral name, but then like curvy, like curvy measurements or straight measurements. Um, and that's been really, that for me felt like, okay, here we go. Here's a place that I can engage. Is there anything else that you guys would like to say on this subject? I think for me, what I, what goes along with all of this is, just remembering to like not we're not here to like police anybody's gender and that you can be non-binary and you can you can be like and you can look like anything and a non-binary looks like anything I don't want people to end up like I think what inevitably happens sometimes in conversations about style and fashion is that we start saying well you're not you really or you don't look or that isn't and I want to make sure that we're we're recognizing the the all in all gender means all. So what were some of the things that you took away from that conversation, Jenny? Truly, the, the first thing that was noticeable to me was the idea of all gender versus gender neutral. And that's something where I think after after we made the decision to have this be an episode of the podcast, we had a picture in our head of what that would mean, what direction we might be going. And it became clear just in the first conversation you had that we'd pick the wrong direction and that all gender is what you're really looking at here. The idea that um, garments should be accessible to whoever wants to make them for themselves or their partners or their friends or for sale for whatever purpose. It's, it's important that that be a thing. Yes. And it's surprising to me that I had to be reminded that clothes themselves do not have genders. So <laughs> it's the people we want all people of all genders to be welcome in the sewing community and to feel affirmed in our podcast and in the patterns that they select. I really love that Tookie said that that they were interested in pattern companies talking to trans and non-binary folks to get what they are needing, making sure that everyone in the community understands that the all in all gender means all. I really appreciated that because I think there's so much fluidity around gender and so many different interpretations and there's no right or wrong way about all of this. And so uh, I really appreciate that conversation. Absolutely. And I think the, the note about pattern companies speaking to the people impacted by the language choices they're already making is really important because I think like our misidentification of the topic that we were really trying to get at 
I, I think well-intentioned pattern companies can move in directions that aren't helpful because they're not aware of what the market is asking for or interested in or needs. So, so that's a, a really good call out there. And, and I'm glad that came up. Okay. Next we have five people. They introduce themselves and state why this subject is important to them. If you find it confusing to understand who is saying what, remember that a video version of these calls is available on our website. And I will definitely be looking at that um, as well, because it, it is harder when you can't see someone to understand. What I'd like to do is have everyone introduce yourself, preferably if you could also give your uh, Instagram handle in case the uh, listeners would like to uh, follow you. And how does gendered sewing affect you? Like, why are you interested in talking about this subject? How about Tess? How about if we start with you? Sure. Um, my name is Tess. I use they, them pronouns. My Instagram is topstitchbitch. Um, and yeah, I mean, I a, a big part of the reason that I got back into sewing as an adult is because finding the styles of clothes that fit my body type um, was not easy. Um, and when I sew my own clothes, I can make them to fit myself. Um, And a lot of the sewing that I do is like hacking commercial patterns because the commercial patterns often don't do that either. (laughs) Um, But we can learn the tools to be able to make those changes so that they fit. Um, And I've also been super inspired by like people in my life who want me to make things for them because they've also had the same problems as me. Um, So I think there's a lot of power in being able to sew your own clothes um, so you can feel and look the way you want. That's great. How about you, Jesse? Yeah, so um, I'm Jesse Gregg. I own Seams Fabric in East Lansing. So I'm a shop owner and I sell, um, you know, so I try to facilitate people learning how to sew and then I try to supply them with quality materials so that they enjoy sewing. Um, And I think, you know, one of our things that makes our store, I don't mean, hopefully it's not unique. Hopefully it's not unique that you come into a store and you feel welcomed, right? But that is something that we we value very highly um, and we don't want, you know, we've noticed it with our, um, you know, our, our female, but more butch trending, let's say, um, customers, and also, you know, our trans femme and trans mask customers, obviously. And then unfortunately, also our customers of color, any color that's not white, that there's, they, you can tell when they walk into the store that they are sort of bracing themselves for our reaction to them. Um, and that, that when we are like, hey, how can we help you? Like, you know, it's like surprising almost. And so I want to, as a shop owner, um, I also have a trans femme um, woman who works in my shop. So obviously, you know, that, that informs a lot of our purchasing decisions because we try to accommodate her um, as well and making sure that we have patterns that fit everyone. And so it's just nice to have somebody there that calls me on my shit all the time. Right. So we have to um, have to just get better at that. Um, But mostly I want to kind of, uh, push that boundary further to make sewing more accessible to anyone. Um, and part of that is really just making sure that we have clothing that speaks to everyone who walks in our door, um, which unfortunately we just don't right now. Um, especially when we have women who are either trying to present masculine are more um, comfortable in masculine clothing or have body that doesn't match their gender preference or gender, you know, pronouns, then, I have to sell the menswear because I don't have women's patterns that are styled that way. And then of course you have the problem of taking, you know, a, st- a pattern that's been graded to a female body with the hips, breasts, and waist, um, you know, ratios, which are also not good for women, by the way, and then trying to fit that on a body that it wasn't drafted for. So um, we know we're always looking for gender neutral options. Um, that's what brought me here. Great. Katie, how about you? Sure. Uh, so my name is Katie. I use she, her pronouns. Um, my Instagram handle is P-Aruginosa nerd. I'll, I'll <laughs> spell it for you later. It's a microbiology thing. Um, and I consider myself kind of an advanced beginner. And I'm really trying to get more into sewing recently because of, I think, similar struggles as Tess is facing in terms of I like to present more masculine but the clothing options don't fit my body very well. And the options that do exist for like ready to wear uh, either are like specialty queer suppliers that are pretty expensive and the quality isn't always very consistent or 
uh, going to a fantastic local menswear shop that will be great and tailor things to me, but I don't have the money for that, uh, mm-hmm. not on a consistent basis. So this is me looking for, again, something that can match my style and that I can be comfortable presenting in that will also fit my body comfortably and well. Um, and I also have an interest in plus size sewing because of some of the people that uh, I love and want to be sewing for. And they also tend to encounter that potato sack effect. Um, or it's like, oh, if you're above a sack or above a certain size, rather, you must only want to wear beige and want nothing to touch your body ever. Um, so that's where I'm approaching this from. And I'm excited to hear about other people's perspectives. Great. Thank you. Laura Lee. Hi, so um, I'm Laura Lee. Uh, I met Pippi and Shirley. I also put that in the chat just so people have the spelling. And I am interested in this because I have a gender nonconforming child uh, whom I have had challenges with finding patterns to fit them. And also uh, shopping in stores can be really fraught uh, for them as so many, especially for uh, teens, are, are still designated here's the male side here's the female side and they're very very explicitly labeled so uh in order to uh protect my child from having to deal with that and also because we can't go shopping uh yet i am in ottawa canada and we are not quite there yet in terms of uh, being able to go out into public and frolic as we would like so even though spring is finally here So the reason I'm here is largely because um, I do want to know more about how to grade patterns so that they will fit my kid. Uh, And then for anyone else that I'm sewing, because uh, even for myself, uh, I I find that I have to make adjustments all the time. And it would be really great to be able to glean from other people what they have already learned so that I can make things faster and learn from their lessons. Great, thank you. And Shannon. Hi, um, I'm Shannon. I use she, her pronouns. Um, my handle on Instagram is rare device. It's rare dot device, which comes from an NSA Vincent Malay poem. And I'm also the founder and the person who runs So Queer, uh, which is S-E-W, queer, at on Instagram and soqueer.org which is a community for queer and trans sewists to come together, talk about experiences, share resources. Um, and it's a really exciting and wonderful community that's kind of grown up uh, over there at Sew Queer. Um, and I kind of, I came to sewing a little bit about solving the fit problems that, um, that we've all sort of experienced. Um, I'm fat. Uh, I have like, a body that is not catered to in most pattern companies. Um, so I always make a lot of adjustments. Uh, but also more than that, it was very much about style that um, I consider my style to be something that's like quite exuberant. And I really like color and pattern. And I really like drawing on historical influences and uh, especially in plus size clothing. Um, if you're finding patterns, they're going to be very ugly. Most of the time, there's uh, um, a lot of assumptions made about what fat uh, people, fat women especially, want to look like in the ready-to-wear world, um, none of which I really uh, applies to me. So for me, I think sewing really opens up whole avenues of being able to take fabric and a pattern and pair it together in a way that you would never be able to find in the ready-to-wear world, and that can be completely tailored to my own experience and to my own body. Um, so I have been sewing for, gosh, I don't know, a number of years now, and I sort of started so queer because I knew a lot of other folks were experiencing similar issues, whether it's fit or style or really finding things that affirm our identities. Um, and I founded it sort of after reflecting on my own experiences and reflecting on making things for my partner and really thinking about what would it look like to have a central place where we could have those conversations on a regular basis. Um, And it's been wonderful. 
Great. Thank you all so much. I'm Beverly and I am co-host of the Punk Rockers podcast. And the reason that I wanted to have this conversation is because the sort of central mission of our podcast is to be a community sewing podcast that includes the most people possible. So we talk a lot about size inclusion and size bias, and we want to do our best to make the most possible people feel welcome in sewing community. How would you sort of define how it would look if all genders were supported in the sewing community? What kind of things would we see from pattern companies and such? And I'm just going to let you guys jump in. Um, I can jump in. We've we've been now kind of speculating that the next phase for seams might be to start to draft our own patterns and have a branded line to the store. And we were kind of brainstorming how we could do something. The first thought was like, okay, if we're going to do an inclusive garment, what can we do? And the idea was to do some sort of tunic that was kind of, it's like, um, there's a, if you look across cultures, there's always some sort of like kind of basically yoke neck, A-line, knee length garment that is, you know, what we would call today a dress, but has traditionally been worn by pretty much both genders. Um, And how do you grade that pattern um, so that it fits a masculine body, a feminine body, a thin body, a, a curvy body. And I think one of the things that I appreciate in the plus size sewing um, expansion, I think a lot of lines have been adding plus sizes to their range. They've been releasing their tried and true patterns in the larger size range. And a lot of um, pattern designers are um, starting to include cup sizes in their drafted patterns so that you can, you know, not have to do quite as much hands-on pattern adjustment but you could do essentially kind of like by body shape size. So like an, you know, uh, A-line, you know, heavy on the bottom, thin on top, cylindrical kind of, um, and do it kind of almost mix and match and almost connect the dots. You would pick some defining measurements across your body, bust, um, waist, chest, and then you would essentially kind of like grade between the sizes, but you would have the ability within that pattern to kind of pick your body fit type as well. Um, kind of in a reverse or like the same way that we do cup sizes and plus size sewing. We're excited about this idea. I've had the same idea myself. I think this is what we're missing. And I think this is like where the power of sewing really comes in because it's not something you can really do in the ready to wear world. That's why these like, you know, gender neutral garments are so blah and boring because you're trying to make it fit all these different types of bodies. But in the sewing world, we totally have the possibility to like have all of those options. And yeah, if you can have a pattern that has an A cup, a B cup and a C cup, why can't you have a pattern that has a full bust, small bust, flat bust, like straight waist, curvy waist, like wide hip, narrow hip. Like we can totally do that. And the like queer and trans and gender non-conforming community would be so stoked to have (laughs) options like that so that we don't have to be constantly doing full bust adjustments or like all these grading ourselves. Like it's just there in the pattern. Like if there, if there are pattern grading wizards out there, like listening to this podcast, like (laughs) I would be stoked to work with you to develop something like this. I'm sure other people would be too. Like if pattern, you know, companies are listening to this, like that, that's the thing, I think. I I would agree with Tess and and to build off of what Jesse said, I, every time I hear anyone talk about how entrenched our notions of gender are, I point out all the stuff I spent my giant education money on uh, (laughs) about how across other cultures, especially ones that have been colonized from Western nations, uh, the idea of binary gender wasn't a thing uh, and how that had been, uh, had been squelched and how that's something that we can reclaim. And if you look at it scientifically, if you get right into the nitty gritty, which is something that I had to learn as my own kid went through uh, this journey um, is that, that doesn't really mean anything either there. Sure. I think if you don't mind, I'll jump in. Um, in that I think this is fantastic. I think this is definitely the right direction that I would love for things to be moving in. One thing I would think would be useful is moving away from gendered language around body shapes in terms of talking about like pear-shaped or apple-shaped or hourglass in that they're moderately useful but even then what does that actually mean like how do you quantify that so I think that it would be really useful to move into more like um like body measurement ratios of like if you've got a hip to waist difference of this much we consider doing this 
shape. You can come up with a fancy name for it. Um, like this kind of shape for this kind of fit. And I think that could give people a lot of flexibility to mix and match and like those kinds of blocks, like, uh, like you were saying, um, but making them even more accessible and trying to just like disassociate from language that is very gendered explicitly and even ones that we have implicitly and internally associated with gender. I really agree with that, Katie. I was thinking about one of the things that um, has been really important for uh, fat activists who are pushing for size inclusion is asking pattern makers to actually vocalize the assumptions that they make when creating their patterns instead of leaving them unsaid. And one of those is very much like, well, of course, I designed for an hourglass figure or a pear-shaped figure or a B-cup or whatever. And instead saying, no, you actually have to tell us that. You actually have to tell us what your block looks like in order for it to be useful for us. You actually have to tell us what size is your block so we know how far our size has been graded from that block. And I think that using that idea of actually... Uh, making available the assumptions and the basic kind of principles around pattern making uh, available to the consumer is like the very first and very tiny, easy step that all pattern makers could start with uh, in this journey towards what I think would also be an amazing uh, method for designing patterns that would be kind of, as Jesse said, sort of mix and match and um, allow us to create the same garment with a variety of different body sizes, shapes, types, forms. Can you think of things that allies can do in this arena to help the situation? No, I was going to, I want to just kind of like back up on the question of what allies can do to, again, think about like the basic assumption that a lot of pattern makers are making, which is that, again, like a lot made for fat sewists, that the market isn't there or that there's not enough people who want to do this. Um, because one of the things that is very much in common for uh, fat sewists or aspiring sewists, I should say, and for queer and trans sewists is that the hurdles to get into it are higher than they are for somebody who is thin and cisgender and gender conforming. Um, so the most basic thing that a pattern company can do is really like change their language, be vocal about who they want to serve and like make that really visible and also to like recognize that the history of sewing in queer and gender nonconforming and trans communities is very long. Like how long have drag queens been making their own costumes? How long have queer activists been sewing their banners? Like we've been doing this shit for a long time, right? We are not new to this. So changing the idea about what a sewist looks like is also really important for pattern companies. Like who are you imagining as your customer and who are you leaving out when you bring that image up in your mind? And what kinds of histories are you leaving out if you think of it primarily as a domestic activity that is done by cisgender heterosexual women? Yeah, this is a little bit sort of back to Shannon's point, but one thing that I would like to see more of that I think that people can ask pattern companies for is I want to see more trans and non-binary models on patterns and from pattern companies, social media posts. And I want to see more trans and non-binary um, sewists getting pattern testing opportunities, especially if you're marketing something as a unisex pattern. Like mm -hmm. I've seen pattern companies run by straight cis people putting out a unisex pattern that's like every model appears to be a cis woman except for the one token man. Um, I'm not seeing trans models. I'm not seeing trans pattern testers. Um, that's one thing that like, aside from like really getting into the grading stuff we were talking about before, that's a change that I'd love to see. Is there anything I, else that, that any of you would like to say about this subject that you haven't had the chance to say so far? Yeah. I think thinking back on the question of like what allies can do to push companies to do things like this, um, for me includes absolutely like reaching out to your pattern companies and being like, in order to be friendly to and inclusive of multiple genders, you don't need to necessarily change your whole block. Like that's not, I don't think that's a step that we, any of us would say we expect every single pattern company to do, because I don't think that, the, I think that not every pattern company can reach every single body. That's impossible. That's not something we can ever able to do. And ha having a niche is an important part of having a company. 
So what you can do is say, okay, within your niche of chest sizes, you know, 30 to 50 or whatever you have, or hopefully bigger than that, um, you could drop the language around women's clothing versus men's clothing and just have them listed as shirts, pants, dresses, skirts, whatever. You can look at your language around how to measure a body and say, measure around the widest part of the chest rather than around the bust. You can just change your language slightly and you become more friendly. And I think that that's something that allies can really encourage the pattern companies they like to do. And allies can also think about the ways in which they internalize those things themselves and sort of continue to work on checking their own assumptions too. I think that's something we all have to do. So Beverly, what seemed most important to you? You listened to the fullness of the conversation. I know you've condensed it down to for us here. What was the most salient point that you got out of this panel discussion, do you think? I think there were two things that, that came out of it. Again, reiterated was that pattern companies need to speak to trans and non-binary folks. They need to have models that are trans and non-binary, and they need to have pattern testers that are trans and non-binary. Representation matters. And as noted by, I believe it was Tess, who said that especially when something is marketed as a unisex pattern, it would, you know, they expected to be able to see trans or non-binary person in a pattern that is advertising as unisex. The second thing that I thought was really interesting is most of the things that the folks were asking for are simple changes. They aren't asking for complete blocks to be completely redone. Language and the assumptions behind the blocks being revealed to people are something that all pattern companies can do. They can change the bust measurement to chest measurement without any problem. I mean, that's a very simple thing to do. Uh, what did you find? So I, for, for me, that idea of uh, the transparency on the part of pattern companies and pattern designers regarding their block seemed really important to me. And that's one that crosses over into fat bias as well. Having an understanding of what the block is, whether it's based on, so for example, Jenny Rushmore at Taj Marat, her block is five foot six and short-waisted. And that's super helpful information to have. And for me, it's it's really helpful because I have to, I'm short-waisted. I have to make everything shorter at the waist, but I don't cashmere at patterns because I'm five foot six and short-waisted. So it works beautifully for me. But at your height or your length of waist, knowing that it's five foot six and short helps you to know what your first twall should look like in terms of adjustments. So even with the knowledge that that, um, the pattern block that Cashmeret designs for is probably not appropriate for someone with a straighter figure. Knowing the assumptions would give you a head start on making any adjustments that were necessary. It's also helpful to know how many blocks a company has so that you know how far drafted out your pattern is because that makes a huge difference. So that idea of transparency there seems important. I think so too. You know, I hadn't really thought about it this way, but I believe it was Shannon who said, you know, I'd like to know what size the block was made on, because if this pattern comes up to a size 30, but the block is a size 10, it was yeah. 20 sizes out. That's not going to be as representative as maybe if they had one more, you know, closer to the size that, you know, someone was looking at. So, so, I think so that's more really information's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think some of that information feels intimidating and probably feels unnecessary to pattern designers to some extent, because a lot of people buying a pattern are just like, cool, those are my measurements and they buy the pattern. They're not, they're not aware that the distance you are from the block makes a difference as to how well-drafted it is likely to be and may not be aware of some of these other nuances. But for those who are, it's, it's extraordinarily helpful. And transparency just generally is useful, right? Max measurements, min measurements, things like that are quite useful. So I've got a question that only occurred to me as we started to talk about that. The difference between bust and chest. Yeah. Um, I can go into my Instagram profile and change how I express my measurements. Cause I put my measurements in all my pictures and in my profile, I can make it chest and 
high chest, which, which I've never <laughs> even heard as a phrase, but if everybody did it, we'd all have heard of it by now. Um, and that had not occurred to me that I have carryover language that I use in all of my photos because I've just been taught that it's a bust measurement when it is indeed, as you note, a chest measurement. Right. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Another interesting point that I hadn't really thought about is because when I was asking the question, what can allies do to help out? Because, you know, this is a, this is a different situation than size, you know, it's not so cut and dry. And one of the things that is very much like uh, size bias is that because of the full gendered way that sa- that most patterns are designed, there are more hurdles for trans and non-binary folks to get into sewing. So pattern designers may be less likely to take their concerns seriously. So one of the things that we can do is to help encourage pattern companies to make these sorts of changes, small changes, large changes. I think the conversation is still really going on. I think there's some interesting ideas that uh, Jesse brought up about sort of mix and match pattern making with different sizes so that anybody could sort of do any type of garment. I don't think that anybody thinks that all pattern companies need to provide patterns in all body types Um, That seems maybe a little unreasonable at this point anyway, but to encourage pattern companies to make more options available. And certainly when we see pattern companies with unisex patterns coming out, as you get asked to test patterns, if you get asked to test a unisex pattern, maybe you could ask the pattern company, are you having trans or non-binary folks? Because absolutely. um, It's another place you can do it. You can also, so I do some modeling for companies as well and making the point that as you're doing this, you should consider a non-binary or a trans trans model for, for that type of work. It's, it's definitely something that can be brought up. I think I just saw a call for models from by hand London and they specifically asked for, they had a bunch of different people they were asking for black sewists uh, or not. They weren't even asking for sewists. They're asking for models um, mm-hmm. that were um, disabled or trans people. Um, so I, I like to see that when people are trying to make patterns more welcoming to. Yeah, I agree with you. It's um, it's something that also for me immediately makes me feel better about the company. It's sort of like when you when I go off and look at someone's uh, designer's feed, if everybody looks the same, I'm less interested in the pattern because I don't I can't see it on a variety of bodies and understand how it might change for mine. And that's got to be at least as true for folks who are in a non-binary or trans space as it is for fat sewists. It's, if you can't see it, how can you aspire to it? It's harder. That's, that is a very good point. And actually Jocelyn from the first interview mentioned that the only place she'd really seen representation of trans and non-binary folks in sewing community was in specific queer groups and the patterns that they had made and posted pictures of. And that kind of made me sad. I mean, I'm glad those groups are there. I don't, that's not what made me sad. It made me sad that they didn't, that, that Jocelyn wasn't able to see people like herself if in pictures from pattern companies. Well, and one of the ways that as an ally, you can try and change some of those things are by curating your own feed further to make sure you're also seeing those bodies and sizes and shapes that you want to see in the pattern community. You're seeing them in your own feed and you're sharing them and you're commenting on them and you're liking them and doing the things that'll have an impact on others being able to discover those sewists or models who are are wearing the designs that you want to see available for communities that are traditionally underserved by sewing pattern companies. That's true. In fact, that was one of the suggestions that Tookie had, which was, you know, remember, we can be your style icons too. you know, have us in Mm -hmm. your feed, feature us in your stories. I think those kind of things bring much more attention. And also, and also if there are people who are following you who are trans or non-binary, the more people they see in this space makes 
sewing more accessible to other people. The other thing I really got out of the episode is that every town needs a Jesse. Every town needs a sewing store that you walk into as a fat sewist, a person of color, a black sewist, a trans sewist, a non-binary sewist, a male sewist, anything that is underserved in the community, you walk through that door and you feel seen and appreciated and necessary and nurtured. That is what every single community needs. So more Jessie's, more stores that are open and accepting in that way. If the shop that you have locally isn't, why are you supporting them? Yes. I actually just purchased some things from Jessie. Her store is Seams Fabric in Lansing, Michigan. And I don't know what the amount is, but the dollar amount that I purchased allowed me to have free shipping. So uh, she's got a wonderful uh, store there. If anybody's interested, that'll be linked in the show notes as well. Absolutely. It's, it's really important. So um, Beverly, thank you for taking on what was um, a challenging task, something where we had, you had to learn a lot just to be able to hold the conversations. Yes. Um, And we really want to tell people that what we're talking about here is making everyone feel welcome. And so we hope that you will join the conversation on Instagram and in support of people who are trans and non-binary and do your best to make people feel more comfortable. We also want to say we know we're going to be making mistakes because we're just learning and we are wanting to be corrected when we make mistakes and we will appreciate it and we'll do better when we know better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so thank you. Um, be sure and mention in the comments, uh, on the day we launched the podcast, uh, folks you think we missed people that we need to highlight both from a a designer perspective, sewists, models, activists. Yes. Tell Um, us who we should be following. We would love to do so. Absolutely. And, uh, and thank you. That's awesome. Yep. So until next week, see see you you next Tuesday. Tuesday. The Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art. 